0: Hello, welcome to the Woodstock Farley podcast, uh, a podcast that is designed to introduce you to the original works of Woodstock Farley and from time to time, original works from other writers of prose and poetry. I'm going to begin this first podcast with the reading from the newly published book by Woodstock Farley entitled As the Wave Rose, Florida Tales, and Other Wandering Stories. And it is my hope that you will enjoy this original tale from Woodstock. And the first story I would like to begin with is the first of a trilogy of short stories. This one entitled, Bernie, the Midnight Movie Operator. And it begins with an epigram that goes like this. He therefore turned to mankind only with regret. His cathedral was enough for him. It was peopled with marbled figures of kings, saints, and bishops who at least did not laugh in his face and looked at him with only tranquility and benevolence. If anyone came upon him, then would run away like a lover surprise during a serenade. Comes from Victor Hugo's The Hunchback of Notre Dame. And the story begins. Darkness can be a confederate for those who don't want to be seen. It allies with those whose deeds are primarily the concern of the law. It colludes with those whose faithfulness to another is all but gone. And it hides those who believe the world is better off without noticing them. Bernie considers himself one of the latter. Born with a lazy eye and later marked by a severe case of acne, Bernie is also unusually skinny. Skinny like twiggy skinny. In the darkness, Bernie feels safe. Darkness has become his mistress. He confides in her, knowing she won't betray him to a world that embraces the lovely and abhors the freakish. Darkness protects him from the jeers and the tears. It's the major reason Bernie became a midnight movie operator. For the last 12 years, Bernie has been the projectionist at the Florida Theater in downtown West Palm. He started in late September of 1960 and was trained under the watchful eye of old man Percy, who learned his trade somewhere back north, people say. Percy began running films during the days of silent film actor Harold Lloyd, and during the mid 20s, he moved to South Florida, worked for a time at the Palms Theater, and then took a job as the projectionist across the street at the Florida Theater when it opened in 1949. Years later, while training his young protege, Percy would often talk in reverence about those days of silent films. The glory days of cinema, he would exclaim, and then he would lower his voice and talk about Lucy. Lucy Talifario, the Palms Theater movie House Organist. Lucy and Percy often met in the projection booth after the theater emptied to discuss the movie's plot. At least that's what Percy told the manager one night when he interrupted the two and found Lucy flushed and her hair disheveled. Normally the manager would not have minded since he often fantasized disheveling that hair himself. However, he felt it just wasn't right with Percy. You see, Percy was black and Lucy was white. That night, Percy disappeared for over two weeks. When he later returned to his job in the projection booth, he had a noticeable limp. Percy said he fell off the outside stairs leading up from the alley and broke his leg. Soon after that night, Lucy also left for Tallahassee and moved in with her sister. She later became a church organist and some say after a respectable length of time ran away with the choir director to Alabama. They had six children. Percy never saw her again. Bernie had applied to the Florida one night after watching the premiere of Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. He noticed a small card in the ticket window, help wanted, projection assistant. The card was hand printed by Percy. Percy was always proud of the fact that he could read and write. He hired Bernie on the spot because he felt Bernie had an aptitude for working in the dark. Bernie said his whole life had trained him for darkness. On his application, Bernie gave the Hotel George Washington as his address, although he didn't actually live in any of the 160 rooms. One night, while wandering, looking for shelter during a rainstorm, he happened upon an unlocked window in the alley to the lower level of the hotel. Crawling quietly into the darkness, he was able to find a damp, stank, corner that was not covered in water and with the help of some old forgotten towels, which had the monogram HGW sewed in large scrolled letters in the middle of one end, he weathered the night. Returning there night after night, he soon realized that no one ever came to that part of the building. There were no lights either since most of the floor held water. When it rained, Bernie figured that the staff had abandoned this part of the hotel. So he made a wall of boxes that were filled with items no longer used and cornered off a place to sleep. He left the smallest of cracks for him to slip through the advantage of being skinny. Setting up an old mattress on some shipping pallets to keep him out of the water when it rained and adding a few orange crates as furniture, he called it home. Bernie never minded the rats. They liked the darkness too. Four years later, Percy died. and was buried in Evergreen Cemetery. The cemetery was for blacks only. No one but Bernie and an elderly white woman attended. After the funeral, the lady introduced herself as Lucy. She didn't give Bernie her last name. Management gave Bernie the weekend midnight movie schedule for Friday and Saturday nights. The crowd was made up of midnight movie vampires who only pretended to need the night. The movie vampires were teenagers, stoners and couples who were looking for a dark place to rendezvous for an hour or two. Bernie would watch silently from his dark booth above and fantasize. He was among the daylight crowd. He longed for a physical visage that would allow him to have a rendezvous, especially with her his lady in the yellow dress. Every Saturday night, his beautifully mysterious lady in the yellow dress would appear in the second row from the back, three seats in alone, eating a small popcorn. Bernie had never seen her face. She always came in while he was setting the movie up and left while he was busy with the take-up reel. It was never a problem for her to get the same seat since most of the midnight crowd were territorial and sat near the front, leaving her to herself. Bernie respected her need to sit alone in the darkness. Percy had said that the learning the art of running a movie projector was not that hard if you had good timing. It's all about the timing, he would declare to the eager young apprentice. Bernie took to it quicker than most. The Florida Theater had a two-projector setup. Each projector had a two-reel system. One reel held the film while the other worked as a take-up reel. The trick was starting the other projector at the precise moment so the audience never knew the film was on two or more reels. On Friday's showing, Bernie would arrive early so he could inspect the film for any damage. He then ensured the leaders and the tails of each reel were spliced correctly and the cues were in the proper place. Most patrons never noticed the cue dots in the upper right corner of the picture screen, but to the trained eye of the projectionist, recognizing the dots was crucial for the seamless showing of multiple reels. Percy said, that pocket face kid was the best he'd ever seen when it came to working film. One Saturday night while preparing, Bernie heard someone crying softly below his booth. Looking down, he saw it was his lady in yellow. Slipping down the stairs and remaining in the shadows behind her, Bernie quietly and gently asked if there was anything he could do to help. He longed to reach out to her and take her in his arms and hold her until all her tears were dry. But all he dared do was offer verbal assistance. Without turning around, the lady sobbed, no, there's nothing you could do. I just want to be left alone, please. As he turned to go, he heard her whisper, thank you. You're very kind. She spoke. He had heard her speak, and she said that he was kind. This was a day in Bernie's life he would immortalize. The moment when she, the lady in yellow, his lady in yellow, said he was very kind. The sound of her voice had him spinning as he climbed the stairs back to his dark booth. Her voice, he knew from now on, would be the last memory he would replay each night as he drifted off to sleep. The memory would greet him each day as he awoke. The words, you're very kind, almost convinced Bernie that he was a part of the daytime crowd with no need to remain in the shadows. He knew that the love he had for her was of his own manufacturing but it was the only love he had ever experienced. No one had ever in his life had said that he was kind. Why his own mother often called him ugly and she never threw him a birthday party with all the neighborhood children and balloons and a pony to ride. In fact, she rarely acknowledged that day, except for when she needed him to watch his younger brother, while she went out with someone who was not his father. His own father never acknowledged that day either. He would have had to come around to do that. But his lady in yellow, she said he was kind. And she just didn't say kind, but you're very kind. That night's showing was the 1970 film Zabriskie's Point. When it came to the scene where the main characters made love, Bernie imagined it was he and his lady in yellow. He pretended they were the ones rolling around in the desert naked and covered in dust. He believed that after making love over and over to his lady in yellow, he would hold her in his arms and cry. In the darkness of the projection booth, he actually was crying. He was crying because he had never made love to a woman before, and he often believed he never would. After that night, his lady in yellow never returned to the midnight movie. The following Friday, Bernie came into the manager's office to pick up the film, which generally was already placed in the projections booth. The manager was in a rage about some new counter girl who had violated theater policy and added three shots of chemical butter to the popcorn instead of the usual two shots. He said the midnight movie vampires didn't pay the usual price for these late showings so they should shouldn't be given any special treatment. Popcorn, drinks and candy were how the theater made up the difference in the lower midnight ticket cost. Bernie just happened to catch the manager's eye and at the same time his ire for some insignificant thing that really had nothing to do with Bernie's responsibilities. He figured the manager was just venting again about his marriage that everyone knew was full of unfaithfulness. His wife was so brazen that she even came to the midnight movie with her current love interest. They were both so drunk that she had not realized they were at the Florida theater. But tonight, Bernie sensed there was something else bothering the manager. The fat kid that worked the county candy counter signaled him over and in a whisper asked, Did you hear about the woman they found dead in the alley dumpster last night? Keeping his head lowered and his cap pulled down so the fat kid couldn't clearly see his face. Bernie replied he knew nothing about it. And the fat counter kid said he was surprised since it was last Saturday night after your shift. Sudden panic and fear seized Bernie. And he grabbed the candy counter to steady himself and his head began to spin and his stomach began to tighten. Do they know who? Who she was? Do do they know who did? Who did it? Bernie stuttered? No, they ain't caught the guy yet. Some figure it could have been one of those midnight vampires, but I ain't heard nobody say for sure yet. The lady ain't been identified because her face was so beaten in that the cops say they may never know who she was. The fat kid was still talking when Bernie let go of the counter and started slowly for his booth with his film canisters. Manager is all upset because the cops say she had a ticket stub for Zabriskie's point on her. She must have been here before she got killed. The only thing I hear that the cops got is that she was wearing a yellow dress. Film canister suddenly hit the floor with a loud bang, and one of the reels opened and began to roll, unreeling yards and yards of celluloid into the lobby. The manager came running out of his office to see what the commotion was all about as Bernie ran past him out of the theater and into the street, blinded by his tears and holding his stomach while it tightened in a nausea. He ran through the midnight crowd until the darkness swallowed him in the alley. Leaning against the alley wall, Bernie gave in to the nausea, he leaned over and retched until every muscle and joint in his body ached. His head began to spin again as he tried to focus through the tears and the convulsions in his body began to lessen. He suddenly became aware that some of the midnight vampires had followed him into the alley. Turning slowly and wiping his mouth with his sleeve, Bernie pushed through the small crowd and headed back to the theater. He was determined to find out who did this unspeakable thing to his lady in yellow, but for now, he just wanted to get back to his sanctuary of darkness in his booth. Tomorrow, tomorrow, he vowed he would find the person responsible, but for tonight, he wept. Bernie's plan was to hang out on the fringes of the midnight crowd as often as as he could to see if anyone said anything about the killing. He would set up his film early and then run down and out into the street to listen. Later, while the film was showing, he would slip down and sit behind the crowd to listen again. And after the film, Bernie would run out and follow the crowd and listen, and then later return to his booth to rewind the film. The next night outside the theater, Bernie overheard a midnight movie vampire bragging about watching the killing to two others. Yeah, that chick really screamed. She was a fighter. But old Vince shut her up, he told the others. Using the darkness, Bernie followed him as he walked along with the other two. When the three separated, Bernie overtook the dark pretender and walked alongside with naturally slumped shoulders and his cap pulled down low. Bernie mumbled. So, you seen that lady get killed without suspecting because he was high on speed. The movie Vampire's youthful insanity began to brag. Yeah, man, that chick was raising hell, you know, screaming and kicking and everything. It was Vince who got real rough and killed her after she refused a party at his place. I held her while Vince raped her. Then he beat her and choked her because she wouldn't stop screaming. Holding his rage, Bernie pushed his hands deep into his pockets as his eyes scanned the alley for an instrument. The talkative, dark pretender never saw the pipe that cracked open his skull or felt the warm blood as it spilled into the alley floor. He never heard the words, you son of a bitch. Two days later, Bernie heard the police found a dead movie vampire in an alleyway dumpster. The next weekend, Bernie came early to his shift. Dripping from the rain that had soaked him as he sprinted in from the alley back door, Bernie made his way to the lobby, avoiding the manager, and asked the fat candy counter kid, hey, could you point out Vince when you see him? Bernie waited in the shadows behind a freestanding movie poster advertising the next coming attraction. The fat kid nodded to Bernie when Vince came in with a bunch of movie vampires, and Bernie turned and headed to his upstairs booth. His hands trembled as he threaded the film. He was so anxious that for the first time he almost missed the cue dots when it was time to change reels. Leaving the rewinding of the film for later, Bernie quick, quietly followed Vince when he left the lobby and headed down an alley with several movie vampires in tow. The rain was falling harder now as they raced through the alley to some shelter. Bernie kept far enough back, using the darkness to hide himself. Darkness and Bernie often worked together. Turning down another alley, the group bounded up the fire escape to an unlocked window on the third floor landing. Bernie crouched next to some broken wooden crates that someone had been busting up in the alley floor and waited. He absently picked up a piece and noticed a hammer lying next to it. When the lights went out, Bernie waited for that unconscious hour when sounds are dreams. Carefully climbing the fire escape stairs to the still unlocked window, Bernie slipped into the dark apartment. Searching through the sleeping bodies, he found Vince in a bedroom with some underage midnight movie vampire initiate. No longer shaking, Bernie gripped the wooden stake in one hand and the hammer in another. The underage girl never heard Vince's moan or the sound of escaping air. No white person has ever been buried at Evergreen Cemetery. The arrangements for the burial were made by an elderly lady who used the name Lucy Taliferio. His lady in yellow was laid to rest next to Percy. Only Bernie and Lucy attended. Well, I want to thank you for listening to one of three stories on Burning the Midnight Movie Operator. And if you are interested in the rest of the stories and other stories uh, within this collection as the wave rose, you can go to WoodstockFarley.com and see how you can purchase your own copy. Until next time, this is Woodstock Farley wishing you peace and love.